Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 5. Yeah, everyone experiences conflict. We all wrestle with unforgiveness and resentment. We all, at times, want to retaliate or get even, write someone off. But Jesus teaches us that a lifestyle of peacemaking is filled with promise and power. And that an identity defined and a life shaped by peacemaking is what we're actually invited into. And it's for our good. And so look with me in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we explore your word this morning, that, Lord, you would light a fire in our hearts, that you would envision us for the life you've called us to live, that you would help us to see just the beauty of who you are in the peacemaking power of your son, Jesus, and that that would transform us And that we as a church community and as individuals, Lord, we would be all about peacemaking. Lord, I know all week I've been thinking about how how this topic will confront us and how hard it will be. How much we all wrestle with areas of pride. But Lord, I'm trusting you. We're trusting you to by your grace, by the power of your Holy Spirit, change us. Reconcile relationships that are broken. Renew our vision and our hope and our faith for what you can do in the midst of conflict. And help us to be, uh, Lord, discontent and, and, and just unwilling to live with, with this resentment and, and unforgiveness towards others. Help us, Lord, as a community to walk in humility and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Two, two points today, church. One, A peacemaking identity to a peacemaking mission. First, we have a peacemaking identity. You know, today, we're dropping into what is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And specifically, the part that I've I've just read, it's part of what's called the Beatitudes. And it's named after the Latin word for blessing or supreme blessedness. And, And Jesus describes... In his Sermon on the Mount, and and specifically in the Beatitudes, he's describing what life looks like when it comes under the gracious rule of God, our Heavenly Father. In other words, what does it look like to be a part of God's family? And so Jesus, God's Son, is a peacemaker in the likeness of his Father. And so those who become sons, daughters of God, Children of God, through the peacemaking of Jesus, are called to peacemaking. We're called to walk in love. We're called to live out the same compassion and mercy that we've been shown. And so peacemaking grows out of our identity as sons and daughters. We have a peacemaking identity. Now, some of you might know this. Um, Many of you don't, but July 1st is Shea Day. Shea is my son, my second son. His name is Schaefer. We call him Shea. And July 1st is Shea Day because July 1st is the day that we officially adopted Shea. 
in July 1st, 2010, and I have in my hands here part of my son's adoption declaration. I want to read it to you. Part of it. The minor child, now known as Schaefer Martin Kinney, whose date of birth is January 24th, 2008, sorry, Shay, had to give that away, shall be and hereby is the child and legal heir of the petitioners, Darren Kinney and Valerie Kinney, and shall be entitled to all rights and privileges and subject to all obligations as if he had been born to petitioners in wedlock. The minor child, Schaefer Martin Kinney, hereafter, shall be known by this name. This final judgment of adoption creates a relationship between the adoptee and all relatives of petitioners that would have existed if the adoptee were blood descendant of the petitioners born to them in wedlock, entitled to all rights and privileges thereof and subject to all obligations of being a child born in wedlock to petitioners. That day, July 1st, 2010, the judge looked at Valerie and I and said this, it will be as if he were born to you. He will be an heir to everything you have. Judge said, you understand that, right? I said, yeah, yes, I do. (laughs) A few weeks later, we received his birth certificate in the mail with our names on it. Shay reflects his father. Like it or not, you reflect your father. (laughs) He reflects his family. I want us to consider what we read in Matthew 5, verse 9, as part of our very own adoption declaration. When, when Jesus goes on in Matthew 5 in this Sermon on the Mount in verses 23, 24 to say, if your brother has something against you, go to him and be reconciled, he is actually telling us to act like God our Father. And so as adopted sons and daughters, it ought to show that we belong to a new family. In John chapter 1, verse 12, and we'll be jumping around number of verses this morning, just, just hang on. <laughs> but in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But all who received him, who? All who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Where do we get this right? It comes from Jesus himself. To all who have received him, who believe in his name, he's given this right to be children of God. Well, turn with me to 1 John. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, verse 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. We have been adopted. We've been adopted. Galatians. Go with me to Galatians chapter 3. Verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You're children of God. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 5. He, he predestined, God predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We who are in Christ Jesus are adopted. We're adopted into a new family. You see, in the Old Testament, Israel held the title of, of sons, son of God. And now this title belongs to those who by faith trust in Jesus. And so the reality of this new identity, the reality of God the Father's reign over our life should cause us to interact uh, with others in a radically different way. Our identity should shape our behavior. The truth of our new identity. We've been given a, a peacemaking identity through faith in Jesus. Now, you know, at some point in your life, you stand in front of the mirror, and, and like it or not, you realize just how much you look like your father or mother, right? I mean, it, it's, it's happening to me, all right? But, and, and maybe you even find yourself acting like your father and mother. Sorry, moms and dads, if you're in here and you got a kid in here as well. I mean, it's just, do you know the Geico commercial where they're sitting at the restaurant and they're acting like their parents, they're with their friends and they've, they've just done something wonderful with their insurance or something. And, and so um, the waitress comes, oh, what are you majoring in? Art, oh, how are you gonna pay for things in life? <laughs> and then the guy finds the tables wobbly. Oh, we got a wobbler. And he gets down to fix it. He's acting like his parents. Turn with me to Luke. Luke chapter 6. Verse 35, Jesus, he says this, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. In other words, be like this because that is what God the Father is like. So the motive and the reason is, is God the Father is kind to the ungrateful. He's kind to the evil, to the wicked. He's been kind to you. He's been merciful, so be merciful. Learn how to love by the love that you've been shown. Have we forgotten the love that we've been shown? Have we moved away from the radical love and mercy that we've been shown in Christ Jesus? Where have we drawn boundaries? Where have we put limits to God's love expressed through our own lives? Where have we said this far and no more? Maybe when we're tempted to judge, maybe when we're tempted to write others off, Maybe when we're tempted to walk in unforgiveness and animosity and bitterness. Jesus spoke of what he knew. Jesus knew the extravagant love and generosity of the Father, and he's calling us, he's inviting us to live in response to that generosity and love. He's calling us to be who we are, peacemakers, who reflect the peacemaking heart of God. Ephesians chapter 5, go with me there. 
In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul has just spent a considerable amount of time in chapter 4 exhorting the Ephesians to live in a particular way that reflects that they know Jesus. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so Paul's exhortation to the Ephesians to live a certain way is rooted in their new identity. He spends considerable amount of time when he writes letters to the, to the churches talking about what Christ has done in, uh, in their own lives and then living out of the good of that, living, out of, uh, living in the strength of that, the overflow of that. And that's what we're called to do as well. Matthew 5, verse 9, I read it earlier. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In other words, blessed or supremely blessed, happy are those who live under God's reign, who have been given a new identity as sons of God and who are reflecting the Father to others. Blessed. We have a peacemaking identity. Second, we have a peacemaking mission. We've been given a message of peace to hold up, to declare, to put on display with our lives. The good news of peace, the good news of reconciliation with God is a message that says God is not holding our sins against us. He's not holding them over us. Not at all. He welcomes us into a a living, breathing relationship with him. Our sins have been paid for. They've been forgiven in Christ Jesus. It's it's hard to grasp, but it's true. There are no boundaries to God's love. There are no boundaries to God's grace. Look with me in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Beginning in verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, meaning if if anyone has placed their faith and trust in Jesus as their rescue, as their redeemer, if anyone is in Christ, here's what's happened. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, you see, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Paul's saying this is how it's all gone down. It's, it's, it's all God's doing. He did this through his son. He reconciled us to himself. This is about relationship with God, restoring what has been broken, drawing us near, healing what has been broken, forgiving. And then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or sins against them, and then entrusting to us The message of reconciliation. Oh my. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you. We beg you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Declared right in God's eyes through the finished work of Jesus. Wow. So here's the, the message that we're called to hold up and declare. 
So the essence, the heart of the gospel, the good news about Jesus is, is peacemaking. Peacemaking between God and man. The very, morning, the very night that Jesus was born, the angels came and what did they announce? Peace on earth. Peace. Jesus is our true peace. It's through Christ that we find peace, wholeness, healing, reconciliation. So for followers of Jesus to embrace this message of reconciliation and peace, but to then live in conflict and refuse to make every effort for peace is to live in contradiction to the gospel we hold up and proclaim. And so my question is, are you living inconsistent with this message? Turn with me to Romans. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Before that, in verse 17, he says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So don't pay back wrong for wrong or evil for evil. And then verse 18, he says, If possible, so far as it depends on, on you, live peaceably with all. Turn with me to 1 Peter. I told you we'd be jumping around a lot. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Let's pause there for a moment. All of these letters are addressing relational strife and conflict. So do you think it was a problem then? Yeah. Do you think it's a problem here and now? Yes. All of us wrestle with conflict. All of us wrestle with wanting to pay back wrong for wrong and retaliate and hold someone's sin against them and, and, and write them off and walk away. All of us wrestle with that. He goes on to say, don't repay evil for evil, verse 9, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. There's blessing there. There's promise there. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Peacemaking is hard work because peacemaking is, is really heart work. Conflict separates. It isolates. Our very best peacemaking efforts can leave us feeling frustrated and so lonely. It will always cost us something to move in, in this peacemaking mission we're called to. It will always test us it reveals what we really believe about the gospel, about the good news of reconciliation with God. We will be misunderstood. We will be judged. We, we will be dismissed and mocked and tempted to give up and tempted to become jaded and cynical. And, and so we need to continually renew our vision of who we are and what we're called to do. Peacemaking identity rooted in the peacemaking power of Jesus 
and a peacemaking mission called to walk in love, radical compassion, and forgiveness. Conflict is everywhere. Injustice, broken promises, unforgiveness, it it catches us off guard. One minute we're fine in a relationship, the next something is said that sets us off, and we're ready to rumble. Let's go. Mm, Did he, did she? (laughs) And then everything is, 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 then heard through that filter of what they had said like weeks ago. Mm, mm-hmm. There it is again. See how they looked at me? That furrowed brow. That was for me. We can leave uh, a conversation with someone just full of anger. We can leave very just unreasonable and opinionated and usually confused where there's jealousy and rivalry and hatred and strife and bitterness and resentment. Listen, don't think for one minute that jealousy, rivalry, hatred, strife, bitterness, resentment won't completely wreck this community. Don't think for one minute that it won't do that if we let it. Don't think for one minute it won't completely wreck your life and your marriage and your relationship with your son or daughter or your friend or your brother or sister. You know, most of us would say, I hate conflict. I try to avoid it at all costs. When it happens, we, we usually just want to f- fix it <laughs> or for it just to go away. Maybe we just go away. Maybe we just ignore it like it didn't happen. The peace we're to pursue means more than just the absence of strife, more than just the absence of of conflict. Like, hey, we're good. We're not fighting. No, no, it's more than that. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. It refers to harmony and wholeness, every kind of good. It's an experience of well-being and reconciliation and security through proper relationship first with God and then with man, with others. So I've got some questions for us this morning. Church, I knew this wasn't going to be an easy sermon to preach. It's not been an easy one to prepare. But it's an important one for us. It's an, an important one for me. Are you in conflict right now? With a family member, with a friend, with a coworker? Maybe you're in conflict with someone here sitting next to you. Don't look at them right now. I don't want to fight to break out. No brawling, not on Sunday morning. Maybe you're in conflict seriously with someone who sleeps next to you, your husband, your wife. Have you lost hope for reconciliation? Are you exhausted? Have you settled for false peace? Have you given in to a cycle of just this this bickering and blame shifting? Have you written that person off? Do you have an offense with someone? How do you know if you have an offense with someone? You know you have an offense with someone. What are your thoughts towards that person? Do you want them to be blessed? Do you have a growing affection for them when you think about them? Do you, can you pray for them earnestly, sincerely? Or are you rehearsing old conversations with this individual or maybe creating conversations that actually never happened? Ones where you're explaining or defending yourself. 
Are you holding someone's sin against them? Are you holding someone to a standard you would never want held over you? Are you having a difficult time forgiving? Forgiveness is not easy. Forgiveness does not say that what the person did to you was right. Maybe the other party is is unwilling. Or maybe the wounds are so deep and the threat of more hurt and pain is very real. And the thought of forgiveness is really scary to you. Maybe you think it's, it's your right to hold on to offenses, to hold on to unforgiveness. Let's slow down a little bit. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. Church, we're learning the way of Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. Jesus entrusted himself. When he stood before his accusers, when he was reviled, when he was mocked, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Oh, there's so much to learn from this. We can entrust, we can surrender ourselves, the very circumstances that we're facing, to the one who judges justly. Do we believe that God is just? That he's righteous in all his ways? That he will right every wrong? That he sees and knows all things? There's no passage that I turn to more when coming alongside others in the midst of difficulty and, co- and conflict and uncertainty and hardship. There's no passage that I've turned to more. Because here, Jesus is making a decision before his accusers in the midst of mockery and being reviled and being led to death. He's making a decision to trust God the Father with the situation and with whatever comes next. He's entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We're called to do the same thing. We're called to make a decision to trust God with the situation whatever, and whatever comes next. Even when our hearts ache, even when we have been wronged, it, it doesn't mean that you won't suffer grief when you do this. It doesn't mean that you won't suffer heartache. But in the midst of, of the heartache and the grief, you're choosing to say this, I know you see what's going on. I know that you're in control of all things. I don't understand why this is happening. I trust you and I surrender this to you. It's not an escapist mentality. You're not running from it. You're facing it as you entrust it to the Lord. 
And it doesn't mean that what the person did to you is okay. It doesn't mean that there aren't consequences to what that individual did or how they hurt you or how they spoke to you. That it doesn't mean that that doesn't need to be addressed and dealt with in other ways. But it recognizes that God is just and will make things right. God is active. He's present. He loves you. It recognizes that you're not the one in charge, that he will eventually right every wrong. When life is unfair, when, when you're slandered, when you're misrepresented, when you're hurt, the thought of revenge, the thought of payback is so satisfying. I mean, we love it. We, we watch movies, and we're cheering our heroes on in the movies when they bring payback. Yeah, kill them all. It would be weird to find a hero. You know, the only hero that doesn't is Spider-Man. He's so kind. He's <laughs> just got the webs. They don't die. <laughs> Paying back wrong for wrong, living in unforgiveness and bitterness and harboring hatred and revenge in our hearts is a prison cell. I've talked to people who refuse to forgive what, what has been done, and, and they're living in a prison cell. I grew up in, in a, a broken environment with um, a lot of things going on around me that were hard. Um, and, and I had to forgive my, my stepfather uh, many, many times. Um, and, and I had to remind myself that I had forgiven him. When, when thoughts began to enter and I began to entertain ideas. And, and, and I remember um, he had come to the place where he, he was dying and um, my sister put him on the phone and he couldn't speak and I, I, I just said to him, I said, uh, I, I love you and I want you to know I have forgiven you. And I want you to look to Jesus in these moments, please. What was done to me and my family was not right. But had I held on to unforgiveness, it would have been a prison cell. The cross of Jesus is a reminder that there isn't a sinful desire, there isn't a perverse word or action that has power over you to change what Jesus accomplished for you. <laughs> what if we live in the freedom of that? There isn't anything anyone can say or do that has the power to change what Jesus accomplished for me. And it's also a reminder that the power of God and his love, it's, it's stronger than any offense. It is. So instead of retaliating, instead of getting even, instead of writing others off, we can show love even to those who slander us and do us wrong. And that kind of life brings the reality of heaven to earth. That kind of life reflects the values of the kingdom of God. That kind of life reflects the values of the family of God. That kind of life reflects our Heavenly Father. It also brings strength to our words when we speak the message of reconciliation that Jesus brings. <laughs> it backs up this message. When we refuse to hold on to unforgiveness, when we ref refuse to write others off, when we refuse it, 
It's backing up the words and the proclamation of this message of reconciliation. How can we call people to be reconciled with God when we ourselves are just harboring resentment and bitterness and and, and unforgiveness? It's not ours to hold on to. We entrust it to him. I entrust it to you, God. And it demonstrates the radical love and grace that we've been shown. Remember, either that person's sin, if someone has sinned against you, was paid for by Jesus, and they will be forgiven when they repent, or it will be judged by Jesus on the last day. The way of Jesus is a lifestyle of peacemaking. It requires surrender. It requires entrusting ourselves to him who judges justly. Some practical things that maybe we can apply in our own lives as we move forward. Don't try peacemaking on your own. (laughs) Don't try it on your own. Thank, Thank the Lord we're not on our own. He's with us. Our confidence is in the one who rules and reigns over the hearts of men, including our own. I can't tell you how many times uh, Valerie and I were in a conflict where just I had zero clarity on the way forward. I would say most of the time because of my own pride, not all the time, most of the time, and how frequently the Lord would just by his grace, and he does still come alongside me and help me to see just how much uh, I was sinning and messing up, and yes, it was on both of our parts, but after a time of reflection and by his grace just revealing this, and then I can go to her and ask for forgiveness. And it's not easy. It feels like everything in me is, is pushing against it. And then as you walk and express forgiveness towards one who you've hurt or who has hurt you, Scripture says God gives grace to the humble and the fog lifts. And the weight lifts, and there's grace, and there's peace, and there's wholeness. You might say, man, I'm glad that happened to you, but I'm in relationships where I've tried to walk in that, and I haven't seen it happen. But God honors even your attempts at expressed forgiveness and entrusting, and if the other party's unwilling, that is on them. But what is your responsibility before God and before them? And of course, when we go to someone with expressed repentance and forgiveness, we can't just do that as a manipulative device and say, okay, now, now you, your turn. <laughs> Give him space to breathe. <laughs> Give him space to think about what you just did. So don't try to be a peacemaker on your own. Don't, or, or, please see God in your conflict. See God in your conflict. When you sin against someone and, and when you've been sinned against, do you see God as central? This changed how I work out conflict with my wife. It, it changed how I work through things with others because um, when you see that God is central, when you see that your sin is first and foremost a sin because God is present and he's called you to live a, a life that honors him, but when you hurt someone else, it's first sin against him. And, and David gets this in, in Psalm 51 uh, when he sinned uh, against Uriah and slept with his wife and he says in this psalm, against you, Lord, and you alone have I sinned. And I'm like, not really. It was against Uriah as well, and Bathsheba, and who else? I don't know, there's others. 
But David said, no, against you and you alone, Lord, have I sinned. David understood that his sin was first and foremost against God. And so when we get that, then, then all of a sudden we're, we're gripped by the reality, hopefully, uh, of God's presence and the conviction that comes, and we realize, wow, God, I, I've, I've sinned against you. When I was angry and disrespectful towards her, I sinned against you first. Please forgive me. Okay, then I need to trust the forgiving grace of God in that moment that he's forgiven me, the power of the cross. And then I walk towards her with expressed repentance and humility and ask for forgiveness. See God as central. Also cultivate a culture of repentance. If there's one thing I could tell couples who are, who are heading towards marriage, it's, it's this, cultivate a culture of repentance in your home. Uh, there's a big difference between saying, I'm sorry, and I sinned against you, will you please forgive me? See, repentance acknowledges the sin and expresses sorrow over the sin, and it desires change. It desires to turn away from that behavior, and it leans on the power of God to walk it out. Saying, I'm sorry, at least in our family, you say you're sorry when you did something by mistake. You broke something. You spilled a glass of water on the couch. You, (laughs) or on my lap, or whatever. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, all right, go get a towel. But if you sinned against me, then, then it's not just I'm sorry, or if I've sinned against you, it's will you forgive me? Because what forgiveness does is it brings healing. It restores what's broken. So cultivate a culture of repentance in your home. And keep rehearsing the truth of who you are in Christ and how you became who you are. Because that's the power behind this peacemaking mission. The power behind our peacemaking effort with others is the peacemaking power of Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. If you haven't made peace with God, that's the place to begin. You can look to him today by faith in Jesus and be reconciled to the living God. How, you you ask? By surrendering your life to Christ. Recognizing that that Jesus really truly is the son of God who came to save you out of your sin and shame. If you need to make peace with others, what's your next move? A lifestyle of peacemaking requires a lifestyle of surrender. Everyone experiences conflict. We all wrestle with unforgiveness and resentment. When all we want to do is retaliate, when all we want to do is get even, when all we want to do is write someone off, Jesus teaches us that a lifestyle of peacemaking, it comes with promise and power. It's filled with promise and power. He's calling us, church, to an identity, to an identity that's defined and a life shaped by peacemaking. It's what we're invited into, and it's for our good and for his glory. We don't need to do this alone. He's with us. We have a peacemaking identity. We have a peacemaking mission. Let's pray.
Lord, you know it's been my prayer this week for marriages, for relationships that feel far gone, that seem irreconcilable, for us to practice repentance and forgiveness, and for, Lord, there to be hope that is, Lord, just given in the midst of that kind of conflict that has maybe been going on for years. Lord, I pray, we pray, that you would reconcile, that you would heal, that you would restore, that you would give hope today. Lord, I pray that the truth of um, the peacemaking power of Jesus would just fill us with confidence as we make steps towards making peace with others. I pray that we as a church would cultivate a culture of repentance, that we wouldn't be content or okay with just saying, I'm sorry when we've sinned against someone, but that we would own up to our sin and ask for forgiveness. And that our lives, Lord, I pray, would be shaped by the peacemaking that we have received through Jesus. Shape us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.